Coming up on the Sark Finder podcast, a significant reason for hope. Uh, in sarcoidosis, there's a constant overwhelming response. Uh, and that's why we think our therapy could be really useful, uh, because it seems to uh, turn that response off. A new drug that targets sarcoidosis of the lungs is getting closer to proving its effectiveness. It can take sometimes seven to ten years to get a drug approved from the first time you start to see those effects. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're more than halfway there. I'll have an interview with Sanjay Shukla, CEO of Atire Pharma, who will be bringing us up to date on a promising development in the fight against SARC. is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome to episode 17 now of the Sark Fighter Podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. The official Sark Fighter song is Zombie by Mark Steyer and the band he plays with, the White Hot Lizards, based in Alberta, Canada. Mark is a fellow Sark Fighter, and you can hear his story and the inspiration for the lyrics in episode 12. By the way, proceeds from that song will be donated to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Links to all of that are in the show notes. And of course, I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I am fighting Sark and so are you. And that goes whether you're a caregiver, a patient, a researcher, uh, a big pharmaceutical CEO who like we'll be talking to today. And all of us are in this fight together. And the Sark Fighter podcast came out of, uh, I told my story on television here in Roanoke, Virginia, where I'm a local news anchor for WSLS, the NBC affiliate, and people started contacting me and saying, why aren't more people talking about sarcoidosis? You're the only person I know. Thank you for talking about it. And I said, okay, well, uh, I've been doing this broadcasting thing since sometime around, yeah, let's call it 1980 or so, uh, whether it's been radio or television, and I thought, huh, I kind of like podcasting. I like the idea of podcasting. I've got some sons who are involved with podcasting and social media. I'm going to start a podcast, and lo and behold, here we are. Uh, and now people have been contacting me. They've been saying, thank you. Uh, we, we feel like we were all alone out here, and now there's something I can listen to. There's there's some place where, uh, where folks can gather. And, and there are some, many other outlets as well, but uh, I wanted to do a podcast that was that. So uh, normally we release a new episode of the Sark Fighter podcast every other Monday morning. And if you want to do something to help in the fight, maybe you want to consider donating your birthday to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research on Facebook. Uh, that has become actually an amazing source of revenue for FSR, and they take that money and they turn it right around and they put it back into patient outreach and into research. A little bit we'll be talking about some of the, the types of research that happen here today. And also, um, COVID-19 
If you're wondering if you are more at risk from COVID-19 because you have SARC and you're taking these drugs that suppress your immune system, you want to listen to my interview with Dr. Robert Boffman on episode 9. They have a survey out. They did a survey. He reported the findings initially here on the podcast, I think before they were available to the rest of the world. And uh, now they're doing a follow-up survey, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I took both surveys, and I hope you will too, but he talks a lot about whether or not you are more at risk of either getting uh, COVID-19 or having a really strong reaction to the virus if you do get it. I'm not going to go into that here, but go back and listen to episode nine, and he talks about it at great length. Um And, you know, honestly, I just want to say how much it has helped me to talk with other people and hear their stories and hear their struggles and understand how much uh, they are like my own in so many ways. Uh, So I guess we're looking at this as an audio support group, and there's uh, there's been any number of topics out there. Uh, In the episode prior to this one, Mary Merlino talked about uh, being a fitness instructor, and all of a sudden her heart wouldn't work. And a long story short, she had sarcoidosis in her heart, and she would have been the last person in the world that you would have thought would have suffered from sarcoidosis. And so you just don't know. Um, Now, you've heard me talk about orphan diseases. Those are illnesses like SARC, which don't have as many patients as, say, cancer or arthritis or some of the other more prominent diseases that are out there. Not that those aren't serious, but there's a lot of people working on those. And there are thousands of these orphan diseases out there. So um, it's hard to kind of to get anybody in the industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, to focus on what it is that's that's causing sarcoidosis and finding a cure for sarcoidosis and you know let's face it if you're a big if you're a big pharmaceutical company you have to ask yourself well what's in it for them it takes years and years to find a drug a protein a compound then they have to test it then they have to see uh, if it works under the testing then they also have to see if it's safe uh, and the fail rate is extremely high in starting out with an idea in a laboratory or something that looks like it has promise. Everything isn't just penicillin and all of a sudden uh, you know, they get an idea and lo and behold it, it starts curing everything that's, that, that antibiotics now, now cure for us. Uh, it is a very difficult task and the FDA, rightly so, is uh, very restrictive and has all of these uh, procedures and, and profiles and protocols that have to be gone through. And so, and that's expensive. That's expensive. It takes highly paid people who are really smart and laboratories that are super secure and, you know, you name it, I, you know, more than I know uh, to, to list it out. But, but, but there's, there's a reason why uh, everybody in the world isn't trying to help us uh, find a cure. But today we're going to talk to somebody who is. And that's what I'm, that's what it's, uh, I'm so happy about that on behalf of all of us, the 200,000 of us or so in the United States who suffer from sarcoidosis. You know, I've been, I've been, uh, I, I've been wondering why can't we find this? And it, it turns out uh, that there are several companies working on those and Atire is one of them. And we'll be hearing from the company's CEO here in just a little bit. But, you know, how, I, I wanted to ask, how do you find a way of controlling 
a disease that has no known cause. Where, where do you begin to attack that? How do you prevent the body from producing granulomas, which are essentially the, you know, what sarcoidosis is and, and, uh, you know, what do you do? How do you know that it isn't hurting you somewhere else? Like, okay, yeah, we did this. We fixed your lungs, but now your toes are falling off. And okay, now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating there. But um, they have to, you know, the whole thing about medicine is do no harm. So uh, you cannot go after this unless you know that uh, it's not creating another side effect that's worse than the disease itself. And some of you, I'm sure, would argue that some of the drugs that are out there for instance, prednisone, uh, it certainly it certainly feels like it's its doing more harm. It certainly messes your life up. Um, but today on the Sark Fighter podcast, Sanjay Shukla will be on to tell the story of a drug, and I use that term loosely uh, because I don't know whether he would call it a drug or a compound or um, uh, a molecule or whatever, but I'll just use the word drug as a catch-all right here that is actually showing a lot of promise through the early stages of testing. And he'll be talking about the early stages and talking about where we are and what is between us and potentially having uh, another drug in the arsenal to fight sarcoidosis if it gets through all of that testing successfully. Now, once again, I'm not a medical expert. I'm an interviewer. I'm a journalist. Uh, and so I asked uh, Dr. Shukla to, uh, to keep his explanations at a level where we can all understand what he's talking about, and I will tell you that I believe he succeeded. So, Sanjay Shukla from Atire Pharma, coming up on the Sark Fighter Podcast. The foundation for sarcoidosis research is the nation's leading nonprofit organization dedicated to finding a cure for this disease and to improving care for sarcoidosis patients worldwide. Since its establishment in 2000, FSR has fostered over $5 million in sarcoidosis-specific research efforts and has provided disease education and support for thousands of individuals navigating life with sarcoidosis. Learn more about FSR and how they're supporting those impacted by this disease at www.stopsarcoidosis.org. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast. Today, I am so pleased to introduce to you the CEO of a pharmaceutical company called A-Tire. And uh, Sanjay Shukla is with us today. Sanjay, thank you so much for joining us on the Sark Fighter Podcast. Thanks, John. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Yeah. Happy to be here. So, um, A-Tire um, is a, a small A, capital T-Y-R, um, and that is... Um, that is actually the, the part of the name of the very first drug that you are working on called uh, the very catchy name of A-Tire 1923. <laughs> what, what is that and how does it relate to sarcoidosis and, and why should people be hopeful about this? Sure. So I'm to tell you a little bit about uh, A-Tire. We're a small biotech company in uh, San Diego, California. And for the past several years, we have been interested in um, uh, lung diseases, uh, particularly interstitial lung disease. And ATYR 1923, which is the uh, drug that we have developed thus far, uh, is targeted for interstitial lung disease. And it's currently in testing uh, in pulmonary sarcoidosis. Um, this is a, 
uh, a drug that we have uh, developed, uh, as I said, over the last several years. And it comes from some of our science, uh, which the company was founded uh, really about 10 years ago. So this is a drug that's currently in phase two testing uh, right now. Okay, so let's back up a little bit um, because this, this can get complicated. Uh, and I wanna make sure that all of our listeners understand it at a level that's useful to them. Um, so let's say um, you cut yourself, let's say you cut your finger and all of a sudden your body responds and says, oh, something other just happened and we need to send all of these cells in there to heal the cut, all right? Um, and, and to a certain extent, when sarcoidosis or some other uh, problem, let's say with a lung develops, the body does the same thing. And that is sort of the nature of autoimmune because with sarcoidosis, you really don't want the response at the level that you get it, right? So ATIRE 1923 does what? Right, so 19, ATIRE 1923, and, and that's a great setup to, to kind of our mechanism of action. Uh, it is what we have determined is, a, is an immunomodulator. So it interacts with immune cells, and in our mind, it downregulates um, inflammation, aberrant inflammation. As you're aware, in pulmonary sarcoidosis, there's a significant amount of inflammation that chronically in 90% of the patients is exhibited in their lungs through a uh, granuloma that also often creates, uh, if you will, a target where our, our immune cells are trying to resolve uh, this aberration. Um, though we don't know the specific etiology or cause of sarcoidosis, the presentation is all very similar. Uh, you see these granulomas uh, in multiple organ systems, um, and those granulomas are, are highly inflammatory. Our drug, through uh, the last several years, what we've learned is it uh, seems to play a role in quiescing an immune response. Uh, early on, <clears throat> this protein, uh, this protein therapeutic uh, interacted um, with immune cells in, uh, in the dish, in the Petri dish, uh, to kind of downregulate and calm them down. Uh, so immune cells in the presence of this drug um, seem to, uh, to, to get back to their, their uh, resting state, is what we call it. Um, there's an activated form of immune cells and there's a resting form. Uh, when activated, that's when you secrete a lot of those um, uh, players, those immune Layers that allow us to resolve whatever aberration. Your example, a cut, involves a lot of different sorts of immune cells getting there where you eventually patch it up and, um, and, and, and the bleeding is stopped, if you will. Uh, in sarcoidosis, there's a constant overwhelming response. Uh, and that's why we think our therapy could be really useful uh, because it seems to uh, turn that response off, uh, at least when we look at it um, uh, early on in non-human trials and also looking at animal models. Uh, and in this current trial, that's really what we're testing is to determine whether or not we have uh, anti-inflammatory effects uh, in pulmonary sarcoidosis patients. Right. So, so you have, I mean, this is amazing because to my knowledge and, and my own experience in, in fighting sarcoidosis, there's a bunch of drugs that you can take that were not really designed 
for sarcoidosis. Um, and so you're, you're taking drugs that uh, fight lupus or uh, cancer or, you know, whatever. And it seems like I've had a whole menu. Um, you've got something here that, that really works in stopping the body's over-immune response to whatever it is, and we don't know yet, that's triggering these granulomas, which is amazing. Now, you have seen that in a Petri dish, and you have seen it in animal trials. Are we talking about mice? What are we talking about here? Correct, correct. So um, about um, three or four years ago, and if I could just uh, step back and talk a little bit about you know, kind of our biology that we, we, dis, we, we research at ATIRE. Sure. Uh, a- ATIRE was founded out of the laboratory of a gentleman named Dr. Paul Schimmel at the Scripps Institute in La Jolla. Uh, and Paul previously was at MIT and for the last several decades has been researching an enzyme, an enzyme class that is in all of our bodies called tRNA synthetases. These, these enzymes um, work inside our cells to allow all of us to make proteins. What Paul discovered is uh, a rather remarkable finding is that these enzymes, for some reason, uh, when they're not doing this, they have, they have a, a side job. Uh, their side job is um, they break apart into smaller protein fragments and they migrate out into different tissues of our body. And there they play a very uh, local role of policing immune cells. Um, and Dr. Schimmel's view is uh, this is a, uh, an underground um, immune system, if you will, uh, that he's discovered that predates, according to his um, uh, research, predates many of the more advanced uh, things such as interleukins and cytokines that we, we have come to know are the main players of our immune system. Uh, Paul has a very fascinating medical anthropology uh, lesson uh, that he gives uh, talking about the conservation, if you will, which, which sort of um, is a fancy way of saying this is a system that in lower level species is their prime mechanism of keeping the immune system in check. We have just evolved a little bit um, beyond that, but nonetheless, this is a background system that in certain diseases where things may not, you know, may, may not be working that well could be useful. Um, so early on, one of these fragments of these enzymes we noticed was highly enriched in lung tissue. Uh, hmm. if, we, if we look at um, uh, all of our, our bodies, I could basically measure the freely circulating amount of this protein. And for some reason, it seemed to really have an enrichment in the lung. So that was the early view on why ATAR said, what's going on? What is this doing in the lung? Uh, over the course of experiments over the last three years, and we presented much of our data at uh, conferences like American Thoracic Society, We learned that um, this one particular protein fragment that builds the backbone of 1923 uh, works to downregulate T-cells, T-cells in particular, CD4 cells. And these are the cells that are notorious for contributing um, towards the chronic inflammation that you see in pulmonary sarcoidosis. When you say Uh, downregulate, you mean it lessens it. Right. That's, Correct. That's, a, that's sort of a clinical term, but I want to make sure everybody understands. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Early on, when I noticed, say, in the Petri dish, in the presence of 1923, CD4 cells, which were highly um, activated uh, or upregulated, um, in the presence of 
1923, re restored and, and downregulated and really calmed themselves down. Uh, so that was my first clue to, to think about, okay, here's a fragment, um, a type of therapeutic that could be useful in lung disease, and it seems to work more or less to calm down CD4 cells. Um, and remembering my, <laughs> my medical school days, because I'm not a pulmonologist, I said to myself, that is rather striking, and in particular pulmonary sarcoidosis patients, this might be useful because uh, it's commonly known that that's a, 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 a disease where CD4 cells are a little bit um, going haywire. Uh, but there's a whole group of lung diseases called interstitial lung diseases that all have this, this aberrant, uh, overactivated local lung uh, response. Uh, wow. So that's where we, we sort of went from there. Um, we tested um, 1923 in over a half a dozen uh, mice or, or, uh, or rat models. And what these models told us is more about how our drug is working uh, in this inflammatory response. Um, we published um, all of this work over the last several years and really sat closely with a number of leading pulmonologists around the world and they have helped guide us uh, into which uh, specific diseases uh, to look at, uh, to look to test 1923 based on those animal studies. Uh, so sometimes uh, in these studies, mice, um, um, their lungs will be injured with a toxic agent um, causing a significant amount of inflammation or fibrosis. Uh, our drugs seem to ameliorate or help a lot of those findings, um, really restore uh, some of that. In other models, we will uh, look at um, rats, for example, um, who also have their lungs injured. These rats um, start to breathe, having you know, have, have difficulties breathing. Um, it mimics some of the, say, cough and shortness of breath you may see in humans, although um, uh, difficult to, to say per se that you know the rat is coughing, if you will. When given 1923, um, their lungs started to get better. Um, and then the last thing I would say is we looked at a diff different types of models. Uh, so there are all kinds of animal models that someone will say, how do I know that relates to uh, a specific disease? How do I know that that model relates to pulmonary sarcoidosis? Right. Uh, and it's difficult to say um, that there's an exact translation between those models and what you'll see in human beings. But what you can try to do is create the same kind of, of damage, if you will. Uh, so there was another model we ran, which was experimental, where we tried to, in essence, create a granuloma in these animals and then test our drug. Uh, so all of these, um, all of these, and that model also gave us some positive findings. Um, so these are, these are what we call preclinical animal models, and they are models that you have to show the drug is doing something there. And um, that, ha that led to our are filing with the FDA, allowing us to move into to human trials. Yeah, now that's, that's the standard process. I mean, it always starts out, you start out with an animal trial, and right. if you have some success, then you go into human trials, and then you have multiple phases of human trials, and, and these are blind studies, and maybe you could explain what blind studies are. So you, you've now progressed to the point where you're actually trying this in people, and you've gone through phase one and phase two, and you're about to enter phase three. Am I right? So we're currently in phase two. We're, we're um, 
finishing a trial, getting close to finishing a trial. Um, but yeah, I, I, when you think about the steps, after we received approval to move into human trials, we ran a phase one trial. And what a phase one trial is, is, is a, it's a trial with healthy volunteers. And that's a trial where you want to make sure the drug uh, has some early good safety findings. Uh, so we administered our drug in to 36 healthy volunteers to make sure that we didn't see anything concerning um, before we move into patients. Uh, that how do, was how do you find a healthy volunteer who's just walking around fine and says, yeah, go ahead and put this drug in me? Right. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's surprising, but um, there is a, a number of centers uh, around the country and the world that um, phase one testing is um, an important component of getting therapies approved. Uh, so many of times these are, um, there's advertisements in, in your newspaper, um, sometimes medical schools and hospitals will also put, a, put out a, a call to arms to say, here's something we're interesting we're working on. Um, based on animal experiments, you know the things that might be things that you might worry about. Uh, we were fortunate because in a lot of our animal work, we didn't see a lot of um, what is called untoward safety effects, you know, things that um, we could identify that um, we w we'd want to watch out for uh, in human beings. Nonetheless, you still want to be hypervigilant early on to say, hey, is anything happening here? Uh, so so um, these are volunteers who um, enter into a phase one trial, and uh, we tested six different doses of our drug. We gave a single dose uh, to each of these healthy volunteers, and then we sort of watched them um, to see what happened in the next couple hours, next couple days, uh, following them out, um, you know, past a month, really, having them come back and um, check really anything, uh, all organ systems, if anything is going on there. When you're talking about a drug that is an immunomodulator, one of the most important things to look at in healthy volunteers is, did this increase their, um, their risk of infection? Because if you're downregulating things, um, uh, you might worry that, okay, are you tipping them so far that they might have infection? Uh, that's something we didn't, we didn't observe. We did not see an increased infection risk. The other thing we look for is, is there anything there where when we look at their blood that we are um, uh, significantly depleting um, immune cells and things of that nature? But we also did not see that. So two very important findings in my mind that allow us to then say, okay, now we can advance uh, that we've demonstrated some early safety and tolerability. Now we can move into patients where we can really see some effects. Um, uh, I think what is unique perhaps about our drug is um, uh, we believe it's, it's more of a restorative type of therapeutic rather than uh, sometimes you may take a therapy that um, can, can be um, highly effective, but also come with some toxicity. Uh, it's another reason that um, it led us to pursue uh, sarcoidosis as one of our first indications because steroids, uh, and I've worked in, in other diseases where steroids are being used to, to help patients, uh, but they also come with their own burden, their own No kidding. <laughs> Not to interrupt, but no kidding, right? I've been on prednisone until I look like this. And, uh, and then you have all the bone issues. In fact, I just 
I just got an email this morning from uh, a Sark fighter listener who said she was uh, had pulmonary sarcoidosis and she was a runner and started breaking bones in her feet because the prednisone had made her bones so brittle. And, you know, here she thought she was doing a load bearing exercise to strengthen her bones. And, and you know, obviously it went the other way. So um, it would be so amazing to have a drug that worked without all these awful side effects. And so after phase one, you're, you're seeing that, right? No, no. And that's the whole thing about medicine, do no harm, right? That's, that's the, that's what correct, correct. Have, so that cure the patient, but no, do no harm. So, so you've got through phase one and you, now you are in the midst of phase two. Do you know what you're finding yet? So this is a, you, you alluded to this that it's a blinded trial. So, after we completed this phase one work uh, all the way back in uh, 2017, 2018, we started a uh, pulmonary sarcoidosis trial. Um, right before then, I, I, I mentioned this, I, I sat down with a number of pulmonologists around the world. Uh, we were fortunate to work closely with, um, at that time, a number of patient foundations who put me in touch with experts. Um, uh, worked with uh, groups in pulmonary fibrosis, uh, scleroderma, uh, and then also sarcoidosis through the Foundation uh, for Sarcoidosis Research. And each of these groups kind of had uh, the ability for us to share our data, uh, anything that's happened preclinically, as we started to target which disease we wanted to first test our drug in. And that's a phase two trial. That's when you start using a drug in patients. Um, and ultimately, uh, we thought pulmonary sarcoidosis would provide um, a real attractive opportunity for to test our drug first, um, namely because of the point you just made, and that's, that's steroids. Mm -hmm. um, when I uh, started talking to these docs, um, I, I've worked in other areas um, of lung disease like asthma and COPD, uh, things of that nature, being in drug development for uh, 20, 25 years. I started thinking, okay, what amount of say force vital capacity or, or, or improvement do we want to see here? Is it 2%, 3%, 5%? All questions that popped into my mind, but overwhelmingly what the pulmonologists and the experts told me, um, not only the sarcoidosis experts, but all the, the, the lung disease experts, they said, you know, Sanjay, if you can address steroids and start to get people off steroids or on their way to getting off steroids. And if you will, perhaps replace steroids with your drug, we will, we, we would see that as a, as a rather remarkable initial finding. <clears throat> now this is typically called um, uh, a steroid sparing approach. So you're sure. trying to spare the patient of, of taking a steroid. Uh, it has not really been tried in this area of pulmonary medicine. Uh, it's been used in other trials, rheumatology trials. You, you mentioned lupus. I've worked in lupus in the past. And there, of course, um, steroids present a huge burden and trying to decrease steroids while, while, while giving patients quality of life is a, is a, is a really important factor. Um, we prioritize that in this trial. Uh, so one of the things here in our current phase two trial is we really are looking to attack steroids. Um, I've, I recall one of the sarcoidosis experts, uh, Dan Culver at Cleveland Clinic, 
refers to steroids as the devil's drug, that it's, it's, a, it's a bargain, that it's going to help you with perhaps your day-to-day -day cough and shortness of breath. Uh, but over time, uh, the toxicities, that's, that's the trade-off. And you alluded to one being, you know, bone effects. But we know that uh, it throws your hypertension, if you have that, into disarray. It, it can affect your diabetes pretty badly. It can lead to obesity. It, it, it fatigues you. There's insomnia. There's depression. There's a whole list of things that I think patients deal with every day to control their cough and shortness of breath. So we wrote a trial um, sitting down very closely with a lot of those experts um, that allows us to look at the effect of 1923 uh, by first seeing, hey, can you get off steroids or at least decrease your steroids here? Uh, so this phase two trial um, started in uh, 2019, uh, working with about 15 centers here in the US. And our goal was to enroll 36 sarcoidosis patients. And we always have to demonstrate that it's safe and well tolerated first. That's always in every phase that you, phase one, two, and three, um, that is, is of paramount importance to us. But in this trial, one of the key, the key ways we're measuring activity is we're trying to, in essence, um, decrease the amount of steroids that people use throughout the trial. Um, so there's a component where when you enter the trial, um, the investigator uh, of each site um, whittles you down to five milligrams a day. So patients come in anywhere between 10, 15, 20, 25 milligrams of prednisone a day. And we ask everyone over the first eight weeks to, in essence, force their way down to five. Now, we know that for many of these patients, if not all of them, five milligrams is really not going to do much for them and really help them. But then we administer our drug uh, or we administer placebo. And that's, that's the, the key element here. It's a placebo controlled trial. And our hypothesis, our, our idea here is that in the patients that are given our drug, uh, we should be able to maintain that five milligram dose because we are controlling immune cells similar to steroids. Whereas the patients that receive placebo, uh, we believe will not be able to be controlled and they'll have to taper back up to their starting dose. It's a six-month trial. We're testing three different doses. Um, and currently, we are really in that last um, cohort of patients, the last uh, uh, dose that we're testing. So we tested 12 patients already at the starting dose, one milligram. Um, patients receive, have received that for six months. <clears throat> it's a therapy that's administered once a month through a one-hour IV infusion. Um, we tested the second cohort uh, or patients that um, now went into that next dose, the three milligram dose. And we currently are testing the five milligram dose. You might ask, why do you do these multiple doses? Well, that's a, also a component of a phase two trial where you want to try to figure out what's your most effective dose. So, so there, there's a lot I've said there, but the key, right. the key, the key points are we now, we showed safety in healthy volunteers. Now we want to make sure it's safe in pulmonary sarcoidosis patients. But in addition, we also want to show that the drug is doing something. How will we know that? Well, once the trial is done, we will unblind. Because right now, nobody knows. Um, I don't know. The patient doesn't know. The doctor doesn't know what drug, whether they're on drug 
or whether they receive placebo. placebo. Part of the reason we do that is to make sure that it's an unbiased trial. We're sure. following these patients for six months. And then in addition, if we see an effect, we want to be able to say, okay, did we see effects at the one, three, or five milligram dose? What's the best dose or two doses here to advance into a phase three trial? Um, right. So we're in that, in that um, you know, we, we really are fortunate because we worked closely with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. They've helped us greatly with enrollment, and we're in the last sort of leg here uh, to finish up this trial. Um, prior to the COVID pandemic, we were expected to have results uh, really in, 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 say, the September or October timeframe of this year. But because of the COVID pandemic, it has actually slowed down uh, some of the recruitment at many of our hospitals because they had to ensure patients were safe. And of course, we've all in different parts of the country have been asked to stay home at, at certain times. Yeah. Um, but now we are seeing, um, you know, some of our centers start to bring patients back in. Uh, we're hopeful to get uh, the final uh, few patients in this trial uh, so that we can uh, read this out, you know, six months from now. Right. Um, you mentioned Dr. Dr. Culver. He's at uh, the Cleveland Clinic, and that's that's where I've been going. Uh, I drive seven hours to get there from my home in Western Virginia, um, and and so uh, I'm I'm glad to know that uh, the Cleveland Clinic is right at the forefront of this research and technology. So uh, so in a few months, then you you will know. Um, so what is between? Let's say it's successful. What's between where we are right now and doctors being able to start prescribing um, ATIR 1923? Yeah, so we're, we're at an important juncture here because phase two is typically where you want to see some drug effects, um, but, but you don't necessarily have to prove it, if you will, in a um, statistically significant way. And that's really what you now need to do in phase three. Right. So our goal at ATIRE is to demonstrate that not only is this drug safe, but we start to see some effects. Namely, when you give 1923, you can be on less steroids um, and perhaps over time, maybe even eliminate your steroids. But that's yet to be determined. In the next trial, uh, we would attempt to, to run um, what is, as you refer to as a phase three trial. And a phase three trial is a much larger number of patients where you would enroll perhaps several hundred patients. Uh, we would typically do this worldwide. We'd expand beyond just the US. We'd go into Europe, uh, Japan, uh, Australia, and maybe even um, you know, parts of Asia and South America. Uh, the goal there would be to run a larger trial. Uh, we wouldn't test out all of our doses. We'd, we'd, we'd start to see that perhaps we have uh, you know, better signals with a couple of the doses. And you'd have to have a much larger placebo population. Right. By doing so, you can then, um, if, you, if you see a similar response, it would then, because of the, the number of people you've enrolled, you would be able to demonstrate that that is statistically significant. And that is what a lot of regulatory agencies, the FDA, uh, the MHRA in, in, in the United Kingdom, um, you know, other regulatory bodies in Japan or Germany, that's what they rely upon. So they rely upon a company running what, what they call is a registrational trial. So this is a trial to now 
definitively prove that your drug is working. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, many times a regulatory agency will ask you to run two of those, but in the setting of rare diseases where you may have, you know, say 200,000 or less patients, um, most of these agencies are understanding that uh, rare disease patients can't wait. Uh, so in many cases, they allow a company to just run one trial and then get approval, one phase three trial. Uh, when you talk about diseases like diabetes or hypertension, um, there, there were and still are requirements to run two phase three trials to confirm that. But um, our goal would be to move into a phase three trial next year, if all goes well. Hmm. Uh, and then that would be a trial that would run um, through in 2021 and 2022. It's really how fast that we can we can get that trial enrolled. But um, you know what what is what is you know what does great look like here? You know, I mean, would be a, a therapy that in a few years we're um, you know able to basically allow it to be prescribed. Um, you know, I think we're at that that point now. We're a little bit halfway beyond um, a drug you know cycle, if you will. It can take sometimes seven to 10 years to get a drug approved from the first time you start to see those effects. Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're more than halfway there. Um, but I think it's going to be really important here uh, over the next few years to see if our, our, our drug, um, you know, really starts to, to help, help patients. I mean, I, as I said, one of the things we prioritized here was, you know, perhaps the most important elements to a patient, which is, reducing their steroids. Um, we can get into all kinds of, of lung function testing and say, um, well, here's, here's a drug that's, you know, makes you 2% better when you look at your force vital capacity. I always kind of look at, you know, to me, I, I, I kind of go back to my training and start to think about, you know, what's the most important thing for patients? Um, a 2% improvement or 3% or 5% on, on a lung test um, is great. Um, but I also think something like reducing steroids would be, um, you know, rather well understood that, hey, if you can at least control my cough and shortness of breath by decreasing steroids, um, that's really, really clinically meaningful to me. So there's things that are statistically meaningful and some things that are just meaningful to a patient. Um, what, so would the FDA, what would the FDA think is, is meaningful? That's a great question. So in the past, they have just looked at these sort of lung function parameters and approved drugs um, in other areas just based on um, uh, nominal improvements of, as I said, two and a half or five percent. So take, take, for example, um, you know, the asthma drugs, if you will. They always have a bar of trying to improve someone's FEV1 a certain percent. Um, no drug's been approved with just a steroid sparing approach alone. Uh, but based on our strategy and talking to the experts, um, we're going hard into agencies about that. I think it's well understood that um, the burden of steroids is, is really quite high for patients. Uh, so there's been a desire for companies to, to take this approach. Uh, we're we're taking a very aggressive approach. I'd also like to see improvement in other parameters like lung function. Um, PET scans are being used in our trial. PET scans recently have been used quite a bit in sarcoidosis patients to track 
their lung inflammation um, uh, because it's, it's, a, it's a unique way to, to sort of quantify uh, the amount of inflammation you may have in your lung. So uh, that could be also a way that you could um, then correlate your findings. You could say, well, look, if you're able to say decrease steroids. And when I look at your PET scans, I start to see less inflammation. So that tells me that 1923 is actually, you know, quiescing a lot of that immune response. Um, but, but classically, um, the FDA, for example, has not approved anything yet just on a pure steroid sparing approach. Uh, our goal would be to sit down with them after this trial and clearly map out the endpoints that they would like to see us improve so that we could get the drug approved eventually, um, you know, and, and available to all patients. Um, so this, this is part of our strategy to, to work very, very closely with worldwide regulators uh, to ensure that, um, you know, they feel satisfied that the number of things that we are um, perhaps improving with our drug, you know, makes sense to them as well. Right. Wow. I, people wonder why um, drugs are so expensive and we look at all the effort and all the research and all the multiple, I mean, worldwide uh, agencies that are involved in you going through this process to start to finish. It could be 10 or 12 years um, and you might come up with something that will, will pay you back as a company and it might be a flop. It's, it's kind of, it's a risk, isn't it? It is a risk. I mean, um, developing new drugs are not, not easy. I've been, I've been at this um, uh, for about 25 years since I left medical school. Um, and uh, I can tell you there's more failures than successes. Um, but, you know, I think as a, as a physician scientist, um, that's just, you know, part, part comes with the territory. I mean, right. I think one of the things that's always interested me and what we focus on at ATIRE is um, areas where patients need better drugs. Um, uh, I think trying to, there are companies that of course look for uh, incremental benefit areas where, you know, you may have a drug that works decent and now you're trying to build upon that and find something else. Um, I've always been really interested in areas where, um, you know, patients really don't have good options. Um, and I think, you know, there's always this question around, you know, is your drug curative? You know, can, can it cure things? Um, I think when you're a doctor and you don't have anything useful, you first try to get something that helps some of your patients. Um, I think one of the challenges with, say, pulmonary sarcoidosis is not knowing the root cause can make it difficult to absolutely say, hey, here's something that can, that can cure you. But what we do know is... Um, most of these, you know, uh, these sarcoidosis presentation is in your lung. And when you have that, you've got cough and shortness of breath. Um, the other thing is there's always that risk of progressing to become fibrotic, um, which is, by the way, another problem steroids have. They don't really stop that progression. Um, you know, it, it is a, it is a, a, a useful therapy at the day-to-day -day level, but there's always that worry um, our drug is, is designed to, in, in my mind, not only help with that day-to-day -day inflammation, but really over time, we do not want to see uh, that development of fibrosis. So and these fibrosis, are the sorts of things. Fibrosis, just quickly, is where you get the hardening of the tissues in the lungs and then the sacs in your lungs that help you process oxygen are no longer effective. 
Correct, correct. So that's probably the most, you know, uh, the worst finding and, and you know, to, to start to actually have that sort of hardening. Um, and we know that some patients can progress to that kind of severe form. Um, so this is why, um, you know, our goal and passion at ATIRE is to really look at, you know, areas where there's unmet need, uh, where patients don't have good options. Um, and, you know, how do we challenge ourselves to say, here's some, here, here are some new um, types of drugs and where can we actually target them? Um, our goal is to actually work in areas where um, there are, you know, there aren't good options or there, there's poor options out there. So you're um, working with what we, what we call the orphan diseases. Uh, right. I think there's, I think there's 7,000 of them. If, if I'm correct. That's that, right. One of That's the right. Just, yeah. So um, there's a whole host to be an orphan disease, uh, rare orphan disease. You really are talking about less than, um, you know, 150 or 200,000 patients you know, being diagnosed a year. Uh, so that leaves for a lot of diseases. Some of these diseases only uh, can affect, say, a few thousand patients. Um, um, the ultra-rare uh, populations, if you will. Um, our drug, we think, um, could be useful, as I said, in, in a number of interstitial lung diseases. So pulmonary sarcoidosis being one of the major forms uh, is our first goal. I, I alluded to a couple. Uh, I mentioned scleroderma earlier. Uh, we ran a model that showed some really interesting effects um, that could be useful to a scleroderma patient that has interstitial lung disease. Right. So that's an area that we are also interested in perhaps after, um, um, you know, we, we, we move through here with sarcoidosis. Yeah, now, and I've got to ask you right now, because we're talking about lung diseases, and of course we're in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis, and uh, that's a situation where your body overreacts and these folks who, are, who get to respirators are there because their lungs aren't working. And I know that, that you and I have spoken before, uh, there may be an application for 1923 for COVID, yes? Yes, so earlier this year, um, when we started to, to see the first you know, clinical data coming out of um, China and Italy in particular around COVID patients, we noticed some really interesting similarities to interstitial lung disease. First of all, um, everyone by now has heard that there's a aberrant immune response that clearly occurs in a handful of, of people uh, that for whatever reason, perhaps in that first week, they can't just get over this, um, uh, this, this virus uh, in, in, a, in a sort of normal manner. And all of a sudden, the inflammatory response is rather um, acute, hyperacute, and, and rather dangerous. And, and that's what was leading to a lot of the um, mortality that you saw in this disease. Um, when you look at the, the x-rays of these patients, a lot of interstitial inflammation, similar to interstitial lung disease. Uh, a lot of the same immune cells are activated, CD4 cells. You see a lot of these cytokines. It's an overwhelming response. Right. And then and then even in some of the folks who have survived, you start to see fibrotic change. So in our mind, it started to really resemble, albeit in a very acute or very short, you know, time course, what a patient with interstitial lung disease may experience over years or even decades. And it's all triggered by this, by this virus. 
it's, right. it's a it's a it's a viral uh, interstitial pneumonitis, if you will. So we we had a, an ongoing trial um, with with an open um, IND, which is essentially a a um, a uh, license that the FDA provides us to explore our drug in patients. Uh, with that already open with the FDA, we went back to the FDA and said, based on what we're observing with COVID-19 patients who get really severe pneumonia, we think our drug might be useful uh, because we're seeing in the literature um, you know, similar findings that we seem to counteract. Um, so they very quickly um, uh, engaged us um, and uh, we activated a trial that 1923 is also now being looked at in COVID-19 patients in about five or six centers right now in the U.S. A smaller trial, uh, 30 patients. Uh, we're only testing um, uh, one. We're only giving 1923 once. Uh, a sarcoidosis in our sarcoidosis trial, it's being we're following patients for six months. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this trial, we're be giving one dose, and we're hopeful that we can see improvement right away. And, uh, so and are, we seeing, are we seeing anything yet? Is it too early? I mean, I'm just dying to know. <laughs> it's a, you know, so this is the other thing. Uh, it's a blinded trial again. So we've, we've taken the approach and I think you've seen uh, a lot of trials in the media right now where, you know, they test it um, and, you know, you hear about hey, five or 10 people did really, really well. Those are, those are companies that have to go back and do a blinded trial. Uh, we went straight into a blinded trial. Um, so, this is a trial that is currently recruiting as well. Um, and, you know, what I can say is, you know, if, if there are good things happening in those patients, I don't know if they received placebo or if they received our, our therapy. Right. Um, if there are bad things happening in those patients, I don't know if they received. The point here is in an unbiased manner, we're going to be able to um, likely in, in a few months here, um, see the results of that trial. Um, and that's going to allow us to, frankly, learn some things about 1923 that we can even apply those learnings to our sarcoidosis work. Um, uh, the, we're, we're, it's two different diseases, but we're testing the same drug. And really what, what you know, the questions will, some of the questions will be answered is, you know, how quickly does your drug work? Um, do you start to even see things after one treatment? Um, also understand that a COVID-19 patient who has severe pneumonia is much, much, much sicker acutely than, um, um, you know, a pulmonary sarcoidosis patient Typically. who over time is also, you know, you know, can, can be very, very sick. But, um, you know, this is a, a unique way for us to test our drug in an acute hospital-based uh, condition like um, severe pneumonia. Let me, let me jump in here because um, I've got to ask on behalf of my fellow neurosarc patients and, for instance, the last two guests here on the Sark Fighter podcast who had severe uh, heart-related sarcoidosis coronary, um, is there any hope that the same mechanism that prevents lung damage might work for those of us uh, who have it in other parts of our body? Yes, I mean, I, I think the ultimate goal here is to, um, when you, so when you look at sarcoidosis and uh, uh, cardiac or neurosarcoidosis, um, all of these um, uh, organ manifestations can be primary, of course, 
Um, but but for for many patients, of course, they're they come with the pulmonary findings. Um, uh, as I understand, ninety percent of the patients have sarcoidosis uh, exhibited in their lungs. In their lungs, that's uh, correct. But, yeah. but 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 let's talk about cardiac. Um, so cardiac sarcoidosis is also obviously highly inflammatory. It's your lung, your 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 heart now is inflamed, and sometimes you can't have a granuloma even interfering with some of the conduction in your heart. Right. Um, though, though, though those patients are not being uh, currently enrolled in our current trial, um, we would look to actually have cast a wider net in our next trial. Um, so uh, absolutely, I would like to actually um, see if we can see if our drug has utility there. Um, you know, the mechanism of what's happening in your heart um, though slightly different, is still being driven by an aberrant immune response. Right. So again, I think our drug, though we're targeting pulmonary sarcoidosis in this trial, it is administered systemically, so it's, you get an IV. So throughout your body, it, in areas and organ systems where you have a hot spot, um, um, in theory, that's what we would be targeting. Um, earlier this year, we formed a collaboration and we... we um, uh, and get, entered into a license agreement with a company called uh, Curon Pharmaceutical in Japan. Um, they are now our Japanese partners to look at pulmonary sarcoidosis in Japan. Um, in Japan, cardiac sarcoidosis is, is quite dominant. You see a lot of Japanese patients mm. with cardiac manifestations. So the goal is that, you know, um, if and when we progress to, the, to a worldwide phase three trial, that many of those Japanese experts and Japanese centers would be able to join that trial. And, um, you know, they certainly are, are very, very interested about the effects, for example, in preventing some of the, the, the cardiac damage you may see with sarcoidosis. So, so let's, let's um, say that somebody is, is listening right now to, to the Sark Fighter podcast and they uh, want to participate in your phase three trial. They're like, yeah, I'm tired of, prednisone, I'm tired of Remicade or whatever else it is that doesn't seem to be helping me, uh, cytoxin, <laughs> something that I've had to suffer through. And they say, yeah, uh, I've, got, I've got nothing to lose. I want to be in this study. And you're coming up on phase three. How do, they, how do they get involved with that? Who do they talk to? Do they just tell their doctor? Do they contact uh, ATIRE directly? What, what happens? So um, we, we, we're currently in, in a phase two trial. And as I said, we're, we're just about to finish um, uh, enrolling that trial, though there, there is still a need to get patients enrolled in that trial. Um, I, as I said, I'm working with about um, uh, 10 active centers right now. We were up to 15, but a couple of these centers are still in parts of the country that um, they're not quite yet seeing patients um, uh, because of COVID. Uh, but currently, we have about 10 centers actively enrolling our phase two trial, which is the first important step here. Um, this is a trial that um, patients, if interested, can go to our website to learn more. We're also working closely with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. They have uh, a lot of the information, um, many of the sort of clinical uh, sites of excellence that they work with, and sarcoidosis are, are um, uh, involved in this trial. Right. Um, you know, in your area, uh, John, uh, Fairfax and Nova up the road in Washington, D.C., 
is one of our centers. I mentioned Dr. Culver, uh, Cleveland Clinic is one of our centers. We also work with um, uh, Dr. Bob Boffman, who all of your listeners will know is probably the leading sarcoidosis expert in the world at Cincinnati. So um, um, if interested, patients can take a look at our website uh, or go to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research and learn more about our trial and how they may, may participate. Um, we would then, of course, move into phase three if, if we see some good effects here. And that would be, as I said, a much larger trial um, that, um, you know, would, would probably be open at, um, you know, it, perhaps double or, or triple the number of centers sure. uh, that we currently have in the U.S., uh, but we still are a little bit away from that. So I think first things first, we're trying to get this current trial enrolled um, and, and, and read out, uh, you know, next year. Uh, I think it's an important trial. I think we're the furthest along of really any kind of biotech or pharmaceutical company right now. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that um, we see some good findings with this trial uh, and then we can progress into phase three next year. Well, that would be that'd be fantastic. So, so again, would would a person? I mean, is there an, an email address, something I can put in the show notes where somebody can put it out there? Should they contact the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, uh, which is, of course, you know, we work very very closely with them here on the podcast, um, and their their email address and, and contact info is in the show notes for every one of my episodes. How I mean, but is is that the best place to start? I think that's an ex excellent resource. They're one of our key partners um, and they have, you know, quite a bit of uh, really all of the information needed, um, you know, for our, for our trial. Um, we, you can also go to um, atarpharma.com, A-T-Y-R-P-H-A-R-M-A.com. We have a, uh, on the, on the homepage there, a button that talks about our, on our ongoing clinical trials and the sites and centers that we're working with. Um, again, those individual centers um, are in different regions of the country. Um, I mentioned a few in Ohio, Virginia. Um, uh, we have centers in South Carolina, Florida, Texas. Um, we, we have been really, really fortunate because the involvement, you know, we rely also on sarcoidosis patients to participate in this early trial. Uh, so um, really, really fortunate to work with um, patients here that are also spending a lot of their time, effort, and energy to, to allow us to get data here. Um, and, and hopefully this, you know, leads us to, to better things in the future. But I think the FSR or atirepharma.com, I can get you that address for in the notes as well uh, right. so that patients, if interested, can learn more. So do you, do you think there will, will ever be an actual cure for sarcoidosis? I'm hopeful that, that there will be a cure for sarcoidosis. I think it's, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a disease that needs to be studied more, more companies, more private companies, uh, uh, private industry companies like ours need to get involved in. Um, there's quite a bit of great research going out there around the world uh, that I've seen that, uh, we're learning more about the disease, uh, its cause and its effect. Uh, we're really focused on that effect side side of it, that, you know, the, the negative inflammatory effects. Um, uh, no, it, it, in my mind and my experience as a clinician, 
um, uh, difficult to just right off the bat say, hey, this is a cure. Um, but the way I think about it is in a disease like sarcoidosis, we need a better toolkit. And if we can be part of that toolkit to help address and help a, a portion of patients, that's a start. Um, I'd love for our drug to be curative. Um, what I've learned about how drugs are developed, um, sometimes patients um, who are really mild you know, may resolve on their own. Uh, maybe they don't need a drug like 1923. Uh, also patients that are uh, perhaps quite severe, maybe a drug like 1923 um, you know, may not work as well. Maybe you need some of those uh, more heavy hitting therapies. Um, the point here is if, if you're a doctor and you have a toolkit of drugs that you can use, I think you can patch together um, a, a quote unquote cure, if you will. Um, but but I, I, I do think that if you get more investment in looking at sarcoidosis, a, a cure is possible. I've, I 10 or 15 years ago worked in lupus when no company was really working in lupus. And those patients have greatly benefited from the 15 companies that have subsequently get, gotten into that field. Um, ATAR hopes to be a pioneer here too. We, we hope not only to, to see our drug do well and, and potentially be useful in sarcoidosis patients, but we also want to spark, you know, five to 10 other companies to really uh, look at this condition and say, how do we actually create new therapies here? Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm proud of the work that we are doing here. Um, I've worked at, you know, much larger companies than ATAR. Uh, I do think those companies um, in big pharma who have a lot of resources, um, you know, they're, they're going to pay attention to our data as well. Uh, and if we can kickstart, um, you know, more, you know, smart people getting involved and learning about how we can actually address this condition, that's how we get closer to a cure um, in my mind. Outstanding. Well, Sanjay, uh, we've been talking for uh, about an hour now, and it's been fascinating to, to learn uh, how 1923 works, to, uh, to begin to understand what it takes to get one of these drugs on the market, and, and to see where you are. And, you know, there's so many um, of the big pharma companies that won't tackle this because there's no return on investment. There's only... As you said, we're an orphan disease, SARC patients, uh, 200,000 of us in the United States. Um, and so you, you put this drug out there and, you know, compared to millions of people who have cancer, uh, your return on investment just can't be that great. So uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you guys are willing to spend, what, 10 years on a chance that might work and then, and then it turns out. And then if, if you get some results that maybe other companies would jump in and get the, get the ball rolling and, and gain some momentum, it's uh, uh, thank you <laughs> for, well, for doing that. We appreciate that. I mean, I think it's part of the passion that um, we have from, you know, top to bottom at ATAR. You know, there's about 45 of us. Uh, we're in San Diego and, and it starts with every one of us. Everyone is really focused on, on um, really moving this therapy forward. And I think um, for many of us, we look at it that we are pioneering the science that we've discovered, but also then pioneering where we actually are trying to, to target the science. 
Uh, so so um, uh, it's really, I think, uh, built into the fiber of who we are. And, you know, small companies, sometimes they are the driver for, you know, innovation in this manner. Um, I think the, the large companies can do great things. Uh, and certainly um, many great drugs have come from, you know, big pharma. Uh, but as you point out, the appetite for perhaps looking at certain diseases, um, you know, there's different calculations that go into in, in some of those bigger companies. Uh, we're fortunate because we don't have that same restriction, if you will. Um, uh, you know, I'm CEO of the company. I'm a, I'm a physician myself. Uh, I think it's really important to tackle diseases where um, there aren't good drugs already out there. Uh, so it's just a personal passion of mine to say, you know, if, if we're going to work on, on this, um, why not actually try to try it in, in an area where I clearly know uh, we, we, we don't have anything, um, you know, that, that's really great for these patients. And it's, it's also something where, um, as I said, it may kickstart and create, create a little bit more of a, a mindset around, um, hey, this is an important disease that we need a better therapy. Um, that's also what the patient foundation, you know, working closely with patient foundations, um, you know, I think it's really important for us. So thank you for, for this opportunity to, to talk about ATIR and, and, our, and our therapy. All right. Well, hopefully uh, it'll become a household name. And uh, please uh, let me know when you are ready to, uh, to move into another phase or if you have uh, some success. Uh, either with sarcoidosis or, I hate to say it, but more importantly, maybe right now, COVID-19. But I'd love to have you back on and talk about where you are with it. Would love to come back, John. Thanks thanks for this invitation and uh, uh, appreciate what you do and and, uh, and and obviously shining a light on, on a condition that um, uh, you know, really, needs, really needs a lot more uh, research and exposure to, to sort of get better therapies. We've been speaking with Sanjay Shukla from the uh, Atire Pharmaceutical Company. And uh, thank you. Thank you again, Sanjay. And we'll talk soon. Okay, great. So a couple of takeaways from Sanjay. First of all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we can only hope and pray that Atire 1923 gets through testing and it proves effective and safe and begins helping fight SARC as soon as possible. And I will certainly keep you updated about that here on the SARC Fighter podcast. You also heard him talk about how these clinical trials work and they need people to participate. So if you're listening now, you have sarcoidosis, particularly sarcoidosis pulmonary of the lungs, uh, and you want to participate, there's a link in the show notes on how to contact Atire Pharma to find out more, and perhaps you can be one of the people that helps in the fight. Thanks so much to Sanjay for the interview and for the research, and frankly, for approaching this for, in my mind, all the right reasons. It is so refreshing, and I just so appreciate the fact that you're in there fighting with the rest of us. By the way, at home, I hope if you're listening to this, you're finding the podcast helpful in some way, please send me an email. Uh, my email address is in the show notes. I'd just like to hear what you're thinking about this. If you've got any thoughts about a topic to cover, or if maybe uh, you want to come on and, and tell your story, 
uh, we're all ears. Uh, that's what we're all about here on the Sark Fighter podcast. By the way, you can follow the Sark Fighter on Instagram and Sark Fighter on Facebook. And I hope you'll check out those social media avenues. In the meantime, until next time, keep fighting. Be lost to